0: You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall Editors of the Batuta Advocate On Desert Rock FM Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show Recording live on Desert Rock FM Uh, Thank you for tuning in wherever you are in the world Be that on the wireless Or on your uh, assorted, respected uh, podcast platforms You're joined by myself, Clancy Overall, and of course, Errol Parker, back in the booth um, with an exciting one uh, this week, an exciting guest. Yeah,
1: no, I'll let you do uh, all the plain Janes over the break, but uh, yeah, no, it's good to get back in the booth with someone who's actually worth listening to.
0: Yep. Um, We're going to learn a lot today about about the world we live in, about the deep south, the Harbour City. (laughs) Uh, There's a lot to learn. It seems like if you live in a regional area or in a... um, Irrelevant metropolitan area like Brisbane or Adelaide, uh, you might not know what's going on in the world. The fact of the matter is, the property market in Australia is red hot, hot to trot, and uh, there's only a certain number of people who really know what they're talking about when it comes to uh, selling, buying property. Houses, I'm talking about, we talk resis. Not talking about commercials. I could, you know, I go plenty of warehouses at the back of a Tudor That we're talking about something else here. And today's guest can tell us everything. We're very honoured to be joined by, uh, I guess, somewhat of a eastern suburbs icon, uh, Simon Khan Thank you for joining us. What a welcome, guys! Thank you very much. It's quite an intro. It's good to be here.
1: No, so I think a lot of people in our part of the world in uh, southwest Queensland they're very familiar with uh, the stock and station agent. Which um, it's probably something you don't have down there in Sydney, but um, most people out here like to be in your industry. They know what a real estate agent is, but you're not one of those.
2: What is a buyer's agent? The old stock and station license, huh? Mm. Yeah. A buyer's agent's almost the uh, flip side of a real estate agent. So you've mm-hmm. got a real estate agent who represents the person selling. Mm-hmm. We represent the person buying. So we go out and we find every opportunity. We source them. And we get the price down as low as we
0: uh, possibly can. Yeah. So some would say you're almost like a superhero in this world of uh, real estate, bending over the, the enemy of the people, which is the real estate agent. How long has this role been around? And can you tell us, is it a new thing in relation to a changing market? Articulated perfectly, by the way. Uh, Is it a new thing? I mean, I started this business
2: in 2009. Mm -hmm. Buyers agents were not a known thing back then. Mm -hmm. Uh, The look on people's faces when I said I'm starting a buyers agency or I am a buyers agent was one of shock and horror. Mm -hmm. Uh, As the years have gone on, um, it has become a lot more prevalent. I think when I started, it was probably 0.000000. Point one percent of people use buyer's agents. Mm-hmm. Now it's a very high percentage. You know, you go to an auction and say there's five bidders, three of them are probably represented by a buyer's agent. So as the years have gone on, you know, representation for buyers has gotten a lot stronger. And that's something that we're, we're very proud of. So yeah, they're a lot more prevalent now. And, you know, it's not just a market thing. I think it's just become a,
0: a process thing. We're now part of the process. First time I heard the term, the role, the title, buyer's agent, was probably in uh, southeast Queensland during the mining boom. A lot of blokes working in coal Mm -hmm. mines, gold mines, copper mines, with a lot of cash. They were buying houses sight unseen through blokes who do not dress like you. I would say they kind of looked like suburban salesmen. Right. Um, Ooh, yep. Yeah. who you know kind of looked like car dealers at that time, and I guess this might have been an early iteration. The mining boom was probably just a bit before you opened up shop. These guys, obviously, it was a different kind of money. It was a different kind of uh, market, yeah. But they were buying at sight unseen. I don't think that was a result of them having trust in these buyers agents, but I think it was just a result of them having money and needing assets.
1: Yeah, there are lots of people driving land cruisers around mines in Queensland who own uh, a lot of off-the-plan apartments in outer metro areas mm. in Brisbane. Mm.
2: Which possibly weren't the best things to buy.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was there was money to move and there were people that put their hands up to help them move it. That, that wasn't trust. They were buying sight unseen. Do you have that kind of trust with the people you work with? that they would buy something sight on via you? Absolutely, I mean, I think the biggest thing for us is trust mm-hmm. and
2: hopefully don't dress like those used car salesmen you mm-hmm. were uh, pointing to earlier. But I think for us, you know, experience, market knowledge should equal the trust that our clients have in us. And, you know, a lot of the deals we do are for people who are overseas mm-hmm. and they buy sight unseen, and, and that is a, you know, you're buying someone a house for 15 million bucks that they've never seen,
0: you know, that's trust. With this trust thing, people trust you with their money. They trust that their money's going to the right place. Why wouldn't you just sell houses? What do you mean, why wouldn't I just sell? Why did you choose buyer's agent instead of a real estate agent? As we did mention before, they are the villains.
2: Um, (laughs) Well, let's put that aside. There's a thousand real estate agents. And when I started this business, I was like, everyone focuses on the seller, Mm -hmm. but without the buyer there is no deal right Mm -hmm. you need the buyer for a transaction to happen and so i wanted to create a business that looks after the buyer Mm -hmm. and acts in the buyer's best interests and a point of difference and that's how come this this concept and this idea and this business cohen handler was born
1: had you worked as a real estate agent before moving into being a buyer's agent? Yeah. for
2: five years, I was a real estate agent. So I've seen the dark side. <laughs> I've seen things, guys. The so dark what made arts. You, so you what, can't unsee. So
1: what moment made you see the light?
2: You know, I was I was dealing with a lot of buyers mm-hmm. and I could only sell them the stock that my office had Mm -hmm. and i felt i became very salesy Mm -hmm. and listen i love real estate agents I got a lot of them as my mates but i felt like i became very real estate agent-y and i was just like this there's so much more out there i could offer them if i was doing this differently Mm -hmm. and i also had like a passion to build an office and a brand with a culture that was cool that people wanted to come to work at and so it was kind of those two things i then went to like live in la for just under a year because mm-hmm. 80 percent of people in the states use buyers
0: agents yep. and i was like wow. you know what i got i got to bring this back to australia you, yeah. s- you saw it happening well and truly oh yeah yeah tell me a little bit what's your, what's your patch i mean we, we said you're an icon the king of eastern sydney king of bondi whatever <laughs> what is your actual patch though where do you do your best work well i've got offices in sydney brisbane melbourne perth Mm -hmm. um so all
2: over me personally Mm -hmm. my patch is the high end it's Mm -hmm. it's eastern suburbs it's it's the north shore it's the Mm -hmm. top end of town um it's typically where my clients are and i'm lucky enough to be dealing in these sort of mega mansions
1: could you give us a bit of a snapshot of what type of person your client is like are they looking for a family home or are they looking for something they can turn a buck on
2: Oh, they're everyone. Typically, it's a a family home or a luxury apartment my particular client is not typically someone they can turn a buck on but i want to make sure that whatever we buy they can flick it and turn a buck on it but (laughs) typically it's somewhere they're going to live for a long time and it's something you know when you're spending 10 20 30 40 50 60 million bucks on a house Mm -hmm. you've typically worked a long time to earn that that's a a lot of money Mm -hmm. yeah um you know your house is the thing you're in that you're most proud of do you know what i mean so it's something that that they want to stay in for a long time.
0: What gets you the most excited? Like in terms of uh, someone you're working with, someone walks in your door, what really gets your blood pumping? Um, I'm talking about the archetypes of uh, buyers, right? Say you've got like a 55-year-old divorcee who's just moved back from Singapore for the first time in 20 years. Is that what really gets you going? You reckon we can, we can do some work here?
2: No, I... Uh I get on with all sorts of different people, not just divorcees. So, that's not what just gets me going. You know what? I like the ones who are a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the ones who come in and they're like, why the hell would I use you? I know every agent. I know every property. I can do this on my own. Yeah. Then they go out and they do it and it's that challenge mm-hmm. showing them that they really needed us. Mm-hmm. You know, our our business, someone said this to me the other day. Whether you like it or not, if you want to buy a a property and they were referring to the eastern suburbs and the top end, you got to use me, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's very difficult. 85% of stuff I buy is off market. So I love the challenge of someone who's very cocky and um, I can prove them. Wrong, and they're then happy that they were proved wrong, married or divorced, just yeah. for the record. Yeah. But there are cash cows out there,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, could you talk us through the process of what a buyer's agent does? So, you've got a client that comes to you and says, For example, I want to live on Woolsey Road near where Malcolm Turnbull lives, yep, and this is my budget.
2: So, let's say they want to live in Double Bay or Point yep. Piper and they're looking for a four bedroom house, three bathrooms, two parking, yep. they want a view. They want to see the Australian federal police cars of Malcolm Turnbull. We would go out and we would find everything that exists in Double Bay and Point yeah. Piper. That's four beds, three baths, parking, view of the the police cars. What?
1: On market and off-market.
2: On market, off market, pre-market, post market, yeah. discounted. And
1: that's just through your networks. Everything that's yeah, out yeah. there.
2: Like I said, 85% of that at the moment's not advertised stuff. Yeah. So we'd go out and we'd find everything. We'd shortlist the stuff that meets the requirements, the ticks of boxes. We'd flick it through to you. Anything you like. I'm giving you the podcast version here. Yeah, yeah. Anything you like, we kind of do the due diligence on it. So like yeah. what it's worth, why it's worth that, what a bargain is, what a top dollar is, all that sort of stuff. Are they going to build a block of flats that's going to block your view of Malcolm Turnbull's house? Mm-hmm. All of that due diligence. Yeah. And then the fun shit begins. We roll up our sleeves, get out the the boxing gloves and... Put a strategy in place to sort of get it for as cheap as possible. So yeah. that's the process.
1: Like you could even go there and door knock. And say,
2: oh yeah, we door knock. Cold yeah. well, call. We have
1: an extremely motivated buyer for your property.
2: Well, we just have a buyer.
1: Who, yeah. Are you ready to downsize
2: or upsize
1: or upsize? Yep. Yeah.
0: So I want to talk a little bit about that wild west where you 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 actually get to do things that real estate agents don't get to do, which is. Like, does it happen like this? You drive past a place and go, that's it. This is what they want. Get out Uh, of the car and knock on the door. (laughs) Dude, I've woken up once I I did this deal in Bellevue Hill. I woke up at like three in
2: the morning and I was like, you know what? I've just thought of the perfect house for my clients. And it wasn't for sale. I called the owner at six in the morning. He's like, it's weird that you've called. I'm moving to Hong Kong. I will actually sell my house. And we ended up buying it, right? They bought that house. We bought it for nine and a half. They ended yeah. up selling it for eighteen point five because we're moving to something else. So they actually did turn a buck. But um, it it, it happens <laughs> more often than not.
1: That's um, yeah, no, that's, that's quite that's, a buck they turned on it. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably the easiest way to earn that much money is on.
0: And it's tax free too.
1: Is on the couch while your house goes up in value.
0: Yeah, <laughs> tell me, I, that's what I want to talk to you about. It's like you know, you uh, everyone looks at uh, someone like Babe Ruth, right? Babe Ruth has all these records. Babe Ruth is the greatest baseballer of all time. Mm -hmm. Babe Ruth also wasn't playing against any kids from Cuba or Puerto Rico. All of these different challenges that are now in the game, uh, he was just basically playing baseball against fat old New Yorkers. You're in a market that's very much like Babe Ruth's market back then. Admittedly, the housing property boom, you started before that, two thousand and nine. We
2: started in the GFC. Yeah, you started in yeah. the GFC. Half time to start. Yeah. You try extracting cash from people in yeah. a GFC for a service in they'd a ever heard market, of. Yeah, yeah. where so,
1: you know this is the worst crisis that most of them have, have ever lived through,
2: and yeah. a service that didn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> that you got to pay for. Yeah. So
0: the streets of uh, eastern suburbs were still clean back then. Yeah, I'm thinking, how do you reckon you would have fared in? 1990s Bondi when they hadn't redirected the sewerage. You know what I mean? We still had gangs of youths roaming the streets.
2: <laughs> Probably Bondi wouldn't have been my patch then.
0: No, no. Yeah, okay. So it's, th- this is your work, high end.
2: Yeah, our office does everything from 500000 bucks upwards. Mm. But for me, the clientele I've attracted have typically been the, the who's who of town, mm. yeah. the real high end. Yeah. And so it's just
0: kind of where they want to live. Can you tell us some of the funny requests you've also got to wrangle? Do you get something as trivial as, you know, a buyer saying, I don't want to live next door to a South Sydney Rabbitoh supporter? Do you ever get those kind of, or they don't talk about that? No, when look, the East is a small place. So yeah. typically it's like, I don't
2: want to live next door to someone I know. Yeah. yeah. You know, they don't love that friend so much. Yeah. Someone
0: I've done business with in the past, or that. I've, kind of I've stuff. had some weird yeah. requests, man. People, <laughs> people going. are weird. Like, there's no question Slash about my it. Tires every Sunday. People are cooked. Yeah? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you see a lot of that. Does it get quite primal when you're talking that kind of money? They're like, well, I'm not going to spend that much money if I have to live with this slight inconvenience next door. I think
2: most people are accustomed to how insane the market is in mm-hmm. Sydney. Yeah. So they know that there's going to be some sort of compromise. Mm-hmm. The compromise might not be living next door to that mm. person mm. or looking into the roofs of that house. But, yeah, there are always
0: compromises. Yeah. Now, we've seen you on Lux Listing Sydney, cult following, King of the East, et cetera, et cetera. Your family kind of gets a start in it too. How did they all feel about that? Dinner with the family, cameras Yeah, I mean, on. listen,
2: I don't, I don't think they ever set out, any of us ever <laughs> set out to be on TV or have any sort of yeah. fame. But... My mum's like just got this huge following from the show. People love her. And so, it's so nice. Like she works so hard and, you know, she's my mum, So, I'm quite direct with her most of the time. But like it's so nice to like be at a cafe or a restaurant and like people come up to her and they're like, oh my God, we love you, you know. So, they like she'll be at Woolies and mm-hmm. people will scream out, you know, love you, can I have a photo? So, it's been, it's been cool. To show, I guess, our real life mm. and who we are. And so, you know, you can't really
0: argue about that. I mean, you, you obviously were operating well before this program. I want to go back before Lux Listing Sydney. People want to know when we're dealing with this kind of money, your stripes. Like, and your stripes exist now on paper. You can show what they've sold and, you know, the kind of deals you've done. Can you tell us some of the learning curves, maybe GFC era or, you know, early that you, learn, you know, to bang yourself into shape, to be you know, the fir- who you are now.
2: The first lesson I ever learned, I learned two lessons, and actually from the same deal. Mm-hmm. The first house I ever sold, this is when I was a real estate agent. I was 20 years old. I grew up in the North Shore. I was working in the eastern suburbs. I had a, a, a buyer, a friend looking to buy a big house. It was a friend. From school, yeah. you know, because yeah. when you're 20, like her <laughs> parents were moving to the eastern suburbs, you got to get whoever you can, right? Yeah. This was an amazing lesson for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I door knocked all these houses and I door knocked this house in Vaucluse. I was a 20-year-old little pimple-faced guy and um, the owner invited me in and we started talking. And this is a long time ago where the gods of real estate were the guys that would sell these properties. Like yeah. this was... When I was 20, so like 18 years ago. Um, and this was a $10 million house 18 years ago, so right? So this would be like... You, so, you- so now this would be like a $30, $40, 50 million dollar house. <laughs> I ended up listing and selling that house, my first ever deal for $9.8 million. And what happened was I rocked up to it with my boss at the time, who was a seasoned guy. had been around a long time. We pulled up at the front of this house. We're out the front. The house is to my left. My boss is to my right. I turn to him. I'm like, let's go door knock it. He turns to me and he says, Simon, you're wasting your time. There's no way we're ever going to get this listing right. I say, you wait here. I'm going to do it. My heart's pumping. I'm walking up to the door. But I'm like, you know what? He spits in my face. He spits in my face. Like I said, I ended up listing it. And so the first lesson I learned is never say never, because it doesn't matter who you are, how old, what you look like, your experience. If you connect with someone, you connect with them. The next lesson I learned was who I sold that house to. The guy rocked up in a Holden Commodore. Mm-hmm. Uh, good car. Yeah. I think it was an I don't even think it was an SS. It was just a standard commie. Poison an Ivy. And um, <laughs> no one took him seriously. And I met him at an open for inspection. And he's like, you've got to help me find a house because no one's taking me seriously. Everyone is very judgmental. If you drive a Commodore... Um, the leafy North Shore You know You weren't yeah. You weren't someone Who's buying a $10 million house So I listed this house I caught him straight away He came to look at it In his Holden Commodore The next time He came to look at it He came with a check For a million bucks Gave me a deposit Bought the house For 10 million bucks Pulled the house down And rebuilt it <laughs> He King. He was the head Of Barclays Bank Right and the lesson I learned from that was never judge a book by its cover. Yeah. So, he I learned from a, a young guy. age. Mm. And then ever since then, I've just learned that those clients from then are still my clients today. Mm-hmm. You know, loyalty is a huge thing. And if yeah. you treat people the right way, with respect, like everyone should be treated, people are going to come back to you and use you and use you and use you. And use you. So, yeah. there have been some amazing life lessons, but I'd say they're the, the best two. Yeah, look, I was just about to ask you, um, because
1: I've asked a lot of people this, but... Did you ever have like a big break? Like something that changed everything?
2: Look, I'd say that first deal yeah. was my big break, not because it was a huge deal, but because it proved to me that I could do anything I wanted to do. Like, if I wanted to tap into the top end, yeah, you know, that was my big break. Mm. Anything else since then was hard as fuck. Like, <laughs> yeah. Firstly, people hated me because I was 20 and I did a deal that they had been trying to do their whole careers. Then I started a business in the GFC that no one knew what it was. Mm. So nothing else was a big break. Mm. But to me, if if I had to say what was one, it was that because
0: that gave me the mindset to do everything else I've done. Yeah. You have a bit more responsibility than a real estate agent. Real estate agent... For the most part, apart from you know maybe yeah. criminal negligence, a real estate agent could sell a house that gets all mouldy once the mu- you know the windows did, close. Did they glorified door openers. Yeah, but yeah, but they also they also take it or leave it, boys. They, yeah, they sell it and then they're out. You don't yep. hear from them again. You've got clients who you know are going to follow you up if this house if it ends up being you know a dud. Can you tell us about some of those anxieties that come through your mind when you when you have got this amount of money that you've got to do something with and you want it to be something... You want them to come back afterwards anyway. You're not like the real estate agent who sells 100%. them out the door. What are, you, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about asbestos in the roof? We're thinking you, about everything. Yeah. We're thinking about... If they ever need to sell this tomorrow, are they going to get out
2: of it? Yeah. What's it going to cost them to fix it up if there's anything they need? If it's brand new, have they done a cheap job? You know, is a view ever going to be built out? Every aspect of it, the way I've always done it, and I think that's why it's worked, is because every house I've ever bought, I look at it as if I was buying it with my own money. And yeah. that's how I advise my clients. And of course, we, you know, I've had clients I bought 10 properties for because it's that doing the right thing by them. Uh, Me and one of the guys I work with, Tom, we just bought this really nice old couple, this amazing apartment on the water. And they called Tom last night being like, oh, the ice maker, we can't get it to work. We can't get the ice maker to work. (laughs) Something's wrong with it. So Tom's like, I'll be over at 7.30 tomorrow morning. He actually went there this morning and just realise that you had to hit the on button. Yeah, yeah. But you yeah. know, that's that's <laughs> yeah. that's our level of service. You know, we want to help our clients, and we want them to come back and back and back. And those clients, we had bought their son a house, and you know, hopefully, yeah. you know, we will buy the rest of their family. Yeah. So that for us is the
1: thrill. Yeah, where well, I suppose you know, if your ice machine was broken and you called. The real estate agent, he'd just be like, call a technician. I, th-
2: I don't think
0: he probably wouldn't answer the yeah, phone. So to be like, how the hell
2: is yeah. this my phone? <laughs> Sorry, whose number is this? this uh, is, yeah. New phone. Yeah. So the
0: the the real estate agent once upon a time would have to weigh up a market in like, as in, this is cheap. You know, this is a cheap area and it might be nice. Nowadays they're saying, look at the trajectory. This is fucking expensive and it's going to be even more expensive after you buy it. Tell us about the property market because that's a big concern as well. Like. Do you have faith in this kind of vortex, that particularly in Sydney? Do you have faith that this thing's going to keep moving the right way? And if you ever do get the jitters, how do you communicate that with a buyer? I stupidly mm-hmm. have
2: not had faith yep. and it has held me back buying more property for myself mm-hmm. and selling property myself and I wish I had never sold and I wish I had bought more <laughs> because every time I thought, you know, you do get, I don't now, but you, I used to get sucked into the media and all that bullshit. And now having done this for so long through so many markets, we are in a bubble, mm-hmm. in a very protected, very safe mm-hmm. market. Real estate is the safest asset in Australia. It's the most desired asset. And I have just seen in all these years, no one's ever come to me. Mm-hmm. And I have dealt with thousands of people saying, I'm so happy I waited to buy. Mm-hmm. Everyone's always said, I wish I had bought then. I wish I had bought then. I yeah. wish I had bought that. Why did I not go an extra 10,000 on this? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I always say to my clients, if it's the right property and the price seems right, just do it. Yeah. That's what I do now. I don't care. if I, I mean, I'm stupid because if I want something, I'll just pay for it. Mm. But the market never crashes here.
0: So, in your mind, in your like detached from the media and the domain and all those. I don't read it. You don't read it? You're detached from it? I do. Do do you think it's sustainable? Yes. Yep. I think
2: the heat's come out a bit. Yep. And it has, but you're not going to see a property that was 3 million go to 2 million. Mm. It might go to 2.8 million. But what's worse, if it goes to 2.8 million or it goes to 3.5 million? And what's happened in the past is it's gone to 3.5 million. So yeah, I, listen. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of delusional yeah. owners out there, fucking idiots, yeah. who are like way overpriced. Yeah. But if they're priced right, it'll move.
0: Yeah, 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 and then so that's an exciting place to be, um, obviously, especially in your role or in, even in that of a real estate agent. But there is also the excitement that I guess when you're in these markets, you're kind of missing, which is the gold mines. You know what I mean? Like the eastern suburbs is is diamonds. What about the gold mines? And you said you were right around the country. Where where would you point to right now? As in in terms of a market, is it the Northern Rivers, or are there even you know uh, lesser known kind of uh, places ready to pop? Yamba. You know, a magician never gives away yeah, his okay. trick. Right. Right, no, but all right.
2: what I will say to you is this: I like to buy in blue chip areas. Yep. Or areas where there's always going to be reasons why people want to live there. Infrastructural reasons why there'll be growth, even if the market doesn't grow, if that makes sense. Yeah. So whether you're in Sydney or Brizzy or Melbourne or Perth or Adelaide, if you're in an area where people are going to want to live, then they're my tricks yeah. that i'll give away there's okay. always
1: going to be people with money until this world ends yeah and they will be prepared to part with it to live where they
0: want yeah yeah i'm, I'm just i'm just wondering what, what the excitement because i you know you always remember south sydney popping off and that that's an exciting game to play as well as opposed to you know this has been doing well for 20 years and it's going to keep doing well
2: but listen i live i live in elizabeth bay and growing up I, I don't think i ever wanted to go to elizabeth bay you know places change and they mm. gentrify and The smart people are the ones who get in early. Mm -hmm. But I think anything that's on a city fringe, and you look at, let's use Redfern, it's a city fringe, it's always going to gentrify Alexandria, you know, because all that's going to happen is you're going to have the center, and it's just going to spread out. Mm -hmm. And so the closer it is to the spread, the more desirable it's going to be.
0: Does it get a bit tricky? I mean, New York City, good example. Rent freeze, they have rent control in certain aspects blended into apartment buildings. Yep. That is to maintain services in the city, you know, the firemen, the teachers. Is there an issue, is there a potential risk of Sydney or Melbourne becoming a city where everyone who works in town has to come from two hours out? Or do you think Sydney has a good balance of of that kind of affordable and high-end?
2: I don't know. Look, I can't comment on population growth. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure. But, you know, I do often wonder... Mm. how the everyday man mm. can afford to buy a place in mm. blue chip Sydney. If you're a young couple, yeah, you know, yeah. average price, you know, you're buying a place for 1.5. Yep. You got to save 350, 400,000 bucks mm. and live. yeah, And it's, their parents are broke. It's yeah. bloody tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how people do it. Yeah. And so I do think people will move further and further away. Mm. And that's just how it's how mm. it's going to be yeah because to live around here mm. you know you've got to have a lot of money
0: yeah it's a thing that Sydney I guess is always in waves you know King's Cross has been good it's been bad it's been good it's been bad but I don't see the current trajectory degentrifying the way that has happened no, mean-
2: wh- all you have to do is have a look at the DA's in place for luxury apartments yeah that are going to be the whole yeah. of King's Cross yeah and you'll pretty quickly get an idea yeah Places we're not going to have zombies yeah. come in and like places are going to turn into a war zone. Yeah, they're going to gentrify, not de-gentrify. Yeah, yeah,
1: like I'd say, like is there anything that that you can see taking the heat out of the national property market? You know, like aside from, as we were saying, like preemptive first strike against us by some foreign power, where <laughs> you know there is you know a nuclear device is.
2: But besides. That goes off in Sydney. um, COVID couldn't do it. COVID made the market boom. I've never (laughs) seen a boom quite like that in my life before. (laughs) Besides that apocalypse you speak of, there's only two things. A huge amount of supply coming on the market and interest rates going to a a level that is beyond what the banks have built in Mm -hmm. as their safeguard. Both I'd be very shocked about. But you're still dealing with people who don't really no, Most of banks. my clients, are, yeah. <laughs> They're their own banks. Yeah. But still, yeah. you know, we deal with a lot of normal people. Yeah. Interest rates, I mean, I, I know when my parents moved to Australia, interest rates were 18%. If yeah. they were 18% now, I it's think a, 90% of people yeah, would put their house think, on the market. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, I think there'd be a lot more. 18%
0: were, yeah. Uh, I mean, there would houses did be, cost the same uh, as a RAV4. But that but it was
2: 1986 <laughs> and a house... Yeah, in the North Shore was like $450,000. That's now stamp duty on a yeah. <laughs> on a normal house in the East. So, yeah, Actually, times have changed. Pretty wild when you say it <laughs> like that.
0: Now, what can we expect from Season 3, Lux Listing Sydney? Some
2: pretty sick houses. Yep. yep. Some pretty uh, cool drama. I mean, I think the thing with Season 3 is... You know, it's our third time around. Everyone's mm-hmm. a lot more relaxed, a lot more comfortable, so a lot more ourselves. Mm-hmm. But you see some pretty epic houses. Yeah. Um, there's a bit of Delta drama, um, a little <laughs> boat
0: drama, everything you'd expect from yep. Lux listings, yeah. right? right? Yeah. But the houses are sick. Yeah. Yeah, you said you're a bit more relaxed this time around. Tell us about those couple of weeks leading into the first episode of season one. Did you have a good gauge on how you were going to be presented or were you oh, were a dude. bit worried like a maths contestant might have been? You no,
2: know? you know what? Like Gav, Deline and I, we all went in this together and we were like really adamant to Amazon that we want to be portrayed as, as ourselves mm-hmm. and we all made a very concerted effort that when the camera's are around, we were ourselves, yeah. right? But- When season one came out, like you never know how they're going to edit shit, right? Like I, I mean, I've seen conversations I've had where they've been cut into something completely different, (laughs) so you just don't know what to expect. Um, And I gotta say, I won't listen to this only because I cringe at the sound of my own voice, right? And I cringe at watching myself, so I didn't. I don't enjoy watching that first season, but I was incredibly pleasantly surprised with how how well they portrayed us as ourselves but also while we were filming i gotta say the producers and the film crew they're just legends and um they really did a good job and they treated us well and they looked after us and they never try to screw us over yeah yeah
0: not like yeah as we said not math not like the dating shows when they they jam them full of champagne and Turn them on each other. Well, oh, there was a bit of that yeah. on the boats. <laughs> well, you
2: balls. know, they'd be like, I'm so sorry the food's taking so long, oh, yeah.
0: but here's some d- yeah. cheap some champagne. champagne. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're actually, hungry, you're a bit seasick, and Actually, you're full of champagne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On
1: camera, can you say this is sparkling white? Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, we have a, you know, a bit of a thing. But just one more question before we go, mate. Um,
2: What's the maddest house you've ever been in? The maddest house I've ever been in? I'll tell you what I checked out the other day. That penthouse of Crown, that hundred million dollar penthouse. Yeah. All right, that thing's pretty dope. Yeah. And then last week I went to have a look at a hundred million dollar mansion, which is pretty cool. In Sydney. Um, in Sydney, 100 massive million. estate. Yeah, hundred mil. Cronulla. Uh, yeah, not Cronulla. Look <laughs> um, closer. There wouldn't to be the too.
1: There wouldn't be too many of them left. Would There's there? a handful. Couple in on the points, on Darling Point, Point Piper.
2: Oh, yeah, there's a, definitely a few of those. The old house of Packer lived in. There's yeah. probably a couple of acres up on Millie The Hill. old Fairfax pa- estate. Well, that's sold for 100, so that's yeah. probably more now. Yeah. Packers is probably 150.
0: <sighs> so, yeah, I've seen some pretty wild stuff. Mm. Yeah. Oh, exciting times. We look forward to season three. Lux Listing Sydney on Prime Video. Thanks, Jonathan. Guys, thanks for having me. It was great. <laughs> yeah, All we'll right? see you down at Ravisi's. Uh, maybe. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Don't hold your breath. <laughs>